Absolutely, there'll be a boom. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's like all the babies that are born in June because of Father's Day in September. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> mm. Hi, I'm Alan Hill, the nostalgic vagabond. I lived out of a backpack for many years during my 20s and some 30s. I'm less of a nomad these days. In this podcast series, I'm catching up with old friends, wonderful people I've met on the Traveller's Trek. And what better time is there to catch up, reminisce, and see how everyone is getting on in 2020? I hope you enjoy hearing about our journeys as much as we've enjoyed sharing. My guest on this episode is Aussie stand-up comedian Daniel Connell. Daniel and I actually went to school together in a little town known as Batemans Bay. After not seeing Dan for years, I managed to catch him at the Edinburgh Fringe 2019, caught his gig, and had a drink afterward. Sucked with Jim Owen too, what a treat. I'm zooming into lockdown Melbourne today, from the UK. I'm curious to find out more about stand-up and travel, for work, but also for fun. Daniel Connell, thanks for joining me all the way from Melbourne, Australia. G'day, Al. How are you? Yeah, I'm bloody good, mate. Um, we have just gone into another lockdown, so you know, uh, I'm I'm okay considering, but um, yeah, it's uh, the never-ending COVID story here in Melbourne, Australia. So you've gone back to lockdown in Melbourne or the whole state of Victoria? Yeah, pretty much. It's Melbourne Metropolitan has gone into lockdown, but you can't get it out of Victoria, basically anywhere in Victoria. The borders shut. Uh, None of the other states want us anyway. Um, (laughs) They literally said don't come if you're from Victoria. Um, School holidays at the moment and Queensland is saying don't even come up to our fun parks, our water world and all those places. So, yeah, it is bizarre. Yeah, I was hearing of these rumours on social media that Australia and the southeast Melbourne and, you know, the surrounding state of Victoria had gone into lockdown. And I was curious if it was fake news or legit news, but you're living there, you're in it, it's legit. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, <laughs> it's it's quite bizarre. Like the traffic is, it's just a ghost town. People are just in their houses and it's really bizarre. But it is good to see everybody doing their bit. So hopefully, as I say, there's six weeks, hopefully it does the trick and we can just get back to a bit of normality. Yeah, let's let's hope for that. So Daniel Connell, stand-up comedian, very tall stand-up comedian, be a very tall sit-down comedian as well. <laughs> um, decent cricketer, would you say? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, I put a lot of time into my cricket in school and as a teen. I played a lot. Uh, had a bit of success there. Yeah, I... I there was times where I was probably like 15 or 16 where I thought maybe this could be something. And I I, I was traveling to camp. Obviously, we're both from Batemans Bay, a little New South Wales town in Australia. And That's I, also not fake news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was traveling up to Canberra to play in the Canberra in a tougher competition. And I did that for two years and won some grand finals and then got offered a, a job at, at uh, um, Eagle Boys Pizza. <laughs> Because our club was sponsored by them and they offered me a job and to come up and play grade cricket in Canberra and I was going to do it. But then I had a, I, I ruptured my ACL playing touch footy in Batemans Bay and um, didn't play cricket for about two years and just went a whole different path. But it's it's weird to think of now. But I yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would have made anything of it, but I loved cricket and I still love watching it, love watching the, the ashes and things like that. 
stand-up comedian. Yes. Like you mentioned, we went to school together Mm -hmm. in the little town of Batemans Bay, New South Wales, Australia. Mm. We went our separate ways after school. Mm -hmm. Later on, I found out that you'd gone into stand-up comedy. Why did you choose to go down that path and what was happening in your life at that time? Yeah, you you know what, I... um... I probably I I didn't tell anybody I I knew in the bay like no none of you guys knew that I stand up was an interest of mine but I I was pretty interested at from it from maybe like I think when I was seventeen I saw Jim Owen at the RSL the the RSL club in Batemans Bay nice and that sort of lit a bit of a fire I thought geez that's that would be a pretty cool living you know if cricket doesn't go anywhere <laughs> maybe I could make people laugh and I always loved full frontal and just watching any sort of stand-up on TV. I love that stuff. And I thought, oh, that would be cool to try, at least try one day. But I never told anyone because, you know, I was I was terrified of public speaking. So it never really was mentioned, even to my parents or, you know, anyone really close. I never said anything about it. And I kind of became, I became a cook after school. I was chefing around places and moved to the Snowy Mountains to Jindabyne and was a chef up there for a few years. And I moved to Canberra when I was 25. 2008 and I I knew there was a comedy scene in Canberra and I knew there was a competition called Green Faces and I thought you know what I'm I'm kind of I'm sick of cooking I don't know where I'm what I'm doing I, I had I was working in a bike store at the time I, I had no interest in bikes push bikes or any idea about push bikes but I got a job selling push bikes <laughs> and I was like what am I do? I just got to do it I just have to go for it and I just entered in that competition and, and, and gave it a go I didn't tell anyone just snuck over there in the dark of night over this pub in Canberra and had a go. And from that, like, it's very addictive. You kind of meet people and it just kind of snowballed after that. But it took a, it took a long time to get the guts to get up and, and give it a go. I think that's what most people say when it comes to stand-up comedy because, in a sense, you, you're never in a more vulnerable situation than when you're standing in front of an audience yeah. and your job is to make them laugh. Public speaking alone mm. is hard enough but when you have that as well as making a crowd laugh it's an extra responsibility that's bloody terrifying yeah yeah and it is it is definitely terrifying when you have yeah yeah, there's no idea of how it's going to go you've got literally no idea especially when and when you're new your your skills in the your skill set is nothing like you've got no like as you get experience you can go to a different uh, you know set list or talk to the crowd or you know do something that you, that's in your repertoire, but when you're starting, it's just what you have, and if it doesn't work, you just you just push through the silence, basically. I guess it's um it's really good for your uh, getting your anxiety to a controllable level. Absolutely, yeah. It's um I although I, I would probably say my anxiety is is heightened from doing comedy as a career than what it was before that because I, <laughs> <laughs> I had I was just. Yeah, just bludgeoning around. Yeah, working in a bike, so I had no no pressure on my life at all. No, no excitement really. <laughs> this podcast is called the Nostalgic Vagabond, so I'm very curious to delve into your comedy stand up career mm-hmm. and how I imagine that is basically in bed with the idea of travel. Mm. As a stand up comic, your job is to go all around the place and gig in various venues. Yeah. Yeah, I, to be honest, I never really thought about the travel aspect of it when I started. I was living in Canberra and I stayed there for a year and then I moved to Melbourne to do stand-up. And it wasn't until I started getting a bit of success and getting some offers and, and touring a bit 
uh, bigger that I realised, oh, I'm going to be able to see some places I've never been and I never would have thought to go. Places in Australia that I'd never, I'd heard of, but I'd never thought that I'd go there and been able to, uh, like the Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow, I've been all up through Queensland and all through parts of uh, Tassie and, and South Australia, all up through the middle of Australia, places that, yeah, I never would have travelled or thought to. So yeah, as the years went on, I thought, you know what, this is a great way to travel because I didn't travel after school. I just got a job and uh, a lot of our friends and yourself include like traveled everybody went overseas and i i didn't but now i'm i've really got the travel bug even though international travels on the hold for a little while <laughs> because of covid but uh, i the last few years i i've been loving it been to uh, india and uh, malaysia and singapore and uh, the uk where we catch up and yeah it's it's really cool with my writing and when i get ideas and inspirations to create my stories a lot of it comes from the location that I'm in, usually a new location, the ambiance of that location, and some of the crazy characters I meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you get seeds of creativity and can you be inspired to come up with bits for your routine from the weird places and the weird people you meet when you're touring? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I've always got my um, sort of like the satellite dish working, trying to take in any kind of skerrick you really need any sort of skerrick of what could possibly be a joke so definitely when you're traveling and you i'm always looking at things in airports or listening to people on planes and their conversations i love listening on conversations with people or just watching couples interact um you're just always on the outlook for uh some sort of yeah in with the gag like we, we were in my wife and i we were in like the amalfi coast after edinburgh two years ago and had a little holiday and just the people around, we played, stayed in a place called Chitara and the people in the town, just we, there were so many good characters. Um, the guy at the fruit shop was just the angriest man I've ever met in my life, but he's, like, his business is face-to-face with people. We were just like, why is he in this role? Um, and we, we saw, yeah, there was, it was just the most funny little town and it was like it was his own little skip, uh, sitcom within what we were living in for a week in this little a beautiful beachside town so yeah i've always got the phone out uh putting notes in there if i see something so if you just sat at home all day and you just never come up with anything put it that way like you need to be um i worked for probably i've been doing stand-up for about 11 years and for the per- first six i was six or seven i was working as well and i found i had a, a lot of material i was able to come up with a lot of material because i was moving around and working and interacting with people when I stopped and I was spending a lot of more time just on my own and it's harder to create things like to come up with something from nothing you really need to be out and, and chatting to people and watching the world go by rather than just sitting at home yeah I understand when you're on your own in the house it's so much more difficult to come up with gems of creativity mm. rather than bumping into some crazy situation in yeah. in society or, or in a in a street or in a, a mall shopping mall yeah. and then your mind just gets like an injection of creativity and the seed comes and then you go back home and then you expand on that and extrapolate and come up with some random crazy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And and try not to turn the TV on at any point. It's all always... And distract yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Daniel, I was wondering, you were saying that you've travelled all through Australia, I imagine gigging in some cities but also lots of small towns. Mm. Have you got a place that you would say is your most obscure Oh, good question. You know what? I, I did a um, I did the. There's a place. It, it's not that far out of Melbourne, but 
It's a little little town called Newham, and I did the Newham Mechanics Institute, which is just this building from you know a hundred year old little wood. It looks like a little wood shack, and they just had a comedy night up there. And I went and did that a couple of years ago, and that was I just felt it was freezing cold, and there was no houses around. I was like, where are we? How is there a crowd coming to this show? And then just a hundred people turned up. All the locals just come out of nowhere. So that that's one that I would really like to do a like film something there one day like film a a, a stand up set and pack it out. It only holds a hundred, so you don't need much to pack it out. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people go for theaters and things. But it's just a really cool little middle of nowhere little mechanics institute uh, that's been there forever. And it looks like you could fit maybe forty from the outside, but it's a little bit bigger once you get inside. I've also been. It's not that obscure, but to get there is hard. Is Kununurra in up the top of? Um, it's just over the WA border, up the top of Australia, near the border of Northern Territory and WA. And that, that to get there is a mission, but um, it was a great little town. And we did it outdoors at a rum distillery. And they had a bug plague that particular night that we did it. And you had li- literally, I'm not even exaggerating, like thousands and thousands of all different, every bug under the sun in Australia was just there on the night because the floodlights were on. And every comic was choking on... Grasshoppers. Um, every yeah, grasshoppers in your mouth. I got bit on my like just above my nipple by something. <laughs> it was crazy, and the crowd were just howling. You could hardly do your set. People were just laughing at you, trying to flick the bugs away. One comedian had a guitar, and because he had both hands on the guitar, he couldn't swat them away. So he was just swallowing kilograms of Australian bugs. Uh, so that's another one that, that definitely is is a obscure little spot. That sounds ridiculous, man. I imagine the local <laughs> people found comedy in just the fact that you were struggling to handle the the native surrounds and they're more used to it. Yeah, from the crowd, they couldn't see the bugs that well because they're, you know, they're sitting and there's no lights on them. But where we were, I've got a, actually got a good photo from, from a, there's a professional photographer there and they took a shot. It does it justice because it, it, there's just black dots all through the shot, and I'm just covered in little black dots. So I can, yeah, I can show people that if they don't believe me. <laughs> were there any people in the crowd for our non-Australian listeners who perhaps were wearing a big Akubra hat with corks hanging off on strings? Mate, I don't remember the corks on strings, but if there was 500 people there, there was 415 Akubra hats. That- <laughs> <laughs> It's the Akubra hat set. Yeah, that's where they that's where they come out. Those Akubra hats. I didn't see any corks, but I'm sure if I looked closer into the crowd, I would have seen some corks dangling for sure. No doubt. So, Daniel, last time we met was in Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, for the the Fringe Festival, and I came up to see you there, do your your bit. Um, were you intending to go there 2020 as well? Yes. Yeah. So. So COVID spoiled those plans too. Yeah, yeah, it's um, put those to bed for this year and uh, hopefully next year we can go. But even that, they're saying they don't know what international travel is going to be like 2021. So fingers crossed for that. But yeah, with Edinburgh, you really need to get a, just be consistent and go on our reviews in a row to get your foot in the door over there and just to get a bit of a following. So I thought I'd do it, you know, six or seven years in a row and see what happened. Uh, so that was gonna, this year was going to be my third year in a row. So such a shame. Would you say Edinburgh is like a rite of passage for any stand-up comedian? Um, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a, I think it helps you grow for sure as a comedian. It helps, you can really get into a comfort zone in Australia doing the festivals here. Uh, all the crowds are quite similar. We're over there. Australia is pretty multicultural and we get international travels, but nothing compared to the international travelers that Edinburgh gets for that festival. So the challenge of doing, you know, one night you might have 15 people in the crowd and they're all Scottish. 
and you might have a great gig and then the next night you're on a high and you go in and there's seven Spanish people, six, you know, Japanese just traveling and you're just getting donuts. You just can't, don't know how to adapt to it. It's just such a, it's so different to the Australian festivals. Every night is a whole new, you can't think you're on a run. Like in Australia, if you have a couple of gigs in a row, fair chance the rest of your run's going to be pretty good. You'll just get that momentum and away you go. But over there, you could have five good ones and then just have this horrible silent crowd and then you speak to them afterwards in, in English is their second language. Personally, I do a lot more at Edinburgh than I do in an Australian festival. I normally just do my show and a few lineup shows late at night. But in Edinburgh, you know, you're doing 11 a.m. shows, three in the afternoon, then my solo show, then late shows. I did a, a spot at like 4 a.m. one morning. It's just a whole different kettle of fish. And I've found that when I came back, my next festival show in Australia was stronger for it. And just as a performer, you just it, it just makes you, uh, your skin thicker and everything just grows from that. And I think comedy room runners and people in Australia take you a bit more seriously, I, I feel, if you've been or if you're willing to pay your own way and go over there and take it on. I think people go, okay, you know, you, you're serious about this. We'll keep an eye on you sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know about right, right. I guess right of passages, yeah, is a is a good way to say it. But there's a lot of quality Aussie comics that have never been and probably wouldn't bother that have still got a great career here without doing it. Um, but just, I, I, it was something I always wanted to do and, and have a crack at. And, and it's, it's as well as, it's a beautiful city, as you know. It's just the best, just the best month over there. It's just such a great time. So I'll, I'll go for as long as I can. From my understanding, the Edinburgh Festival, the Melbourne Festival, and the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival is like a comedy triangle. Mm. Is that the way it's seen in the comedy industry? A little bit. The Montreal is invite only, so the other two are open festivals, so anyone can enter a show at Edinburgh or Melbourne. Melbourne is just a comedy festival, so it's not a fringe. So Melbourne might have 650 shows, where Edinburgh's the fringe, so it's got, uh, I think, like 2,500 last time i was there which is everything you know circus theater stuff yeah the, the works all kinds all of stuff art. yeah montreal yeah it's a bit more love to do montreal but it, as i say it's invite so i guess it's just a matter of people seeing you or you're having a really good festival run and them hearing about you i think they send scouts to edinburgh and scouts to melbourne to suss things out so hopefully one day but yeah, and, and Adelaide Fringe is quite well-renowned in the world as well, a world of comedy, just because it, it's an open fringe as well. And you'll see a lot of international acts. Oh, and Perth Fringe for that. Yeah, you'll see a lot of the same acts. You'll run into them in Edinburgh, and then they're in Adelaide and Perth as well. And then you, you probably wouldn't see a lot of acts in Melbourne. A lot, of, a lot of British acts come to Melbourne and are bought out by the festival, but not as many coming out by their own, you know, paying their own way and doing it all themselves nowhere near as many as the australians that are going over there to do edinburgh right i see we do have a great little run here though in saying that they all kind of line up with each other the different festivals so it's pretty cool we can't go over there and do edinburgh and then go to somewhere else in europe and do two more months of festivals we're here they can come do perth fringe in january uh february then it pretty much overlaps with adelaide that goes to mid-march and then comedy festival starts in melbourne and then sydney so it's a nice little three months of work if you if you if you come out to Australia. Brilliant. Mm. So Daniel, you were saying that earlier on in your twenties when you left school, you hadn't done too much traveling, and then you've started traveling, obviously, with your comedy career. Since then, you've done some actual traveling abroad for personal rather than professional traveling. And I was curious mm. if there's a difference in the way you travel, whether it be professionally or personally. Does it feel different? Yeah, good question. I I would yeah, it is a little bit different when when you're traveling. 
obviously professionally, it's often on my own. Like when I went to India, Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, that was all for Roadshow and that was that was Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow and that was with a crew of the other acts, a production assistant and like the tour manager. So that, that's a bit different. Like it's really, really enjoyable and but you still know you're there as in, you know, you're in there, you're employed there and you can relax and let your hair down a bit, but you're, you're on a schedule. You get told where, you, you know, if you've got an interview you need to be at that day or the gigs, you know, at this time, you need to be there for sound check in the afternoon. You're not as... Uh, relaxed and just taking in the sights. Uh, we still do a lot of fun stuff, but personally, when I'm traveling, like I've kind of tacked on two or three weeks after Edinburgh every year and gone around Europe. So that's with my wife and her, some of her family even came the first year. Then we're sitting by a pool. We lashed out and went to as that place in Positano, as I said, and it's totally different. Yeah, there's no no gig at night, no schedule to yeah. You're just eating food basically and swimming all day. <laughs> I, I love touring for comedy because it's taken me places I'd never go. Like India was just an amazing experience. But the tra- the travel, the two or three weeks after Edinburgh is is uh, pretty nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, there's that no pressure and nothing to worry about uh, while you're there. When you're traveling professionally, there's always that stress of I'm still at work. Mm. Whereas when you're traveling with your wife after the festival, for example, it's more relaxed and yeah. you know that you can sleep in and not yeah, have to exactly. be always on your best behavior and, <laughs> and, and selling your brand, let's say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and there's not many, like those two weeks I have after Edinburgh and probably like a week around Christmas is the time you have off usually in a year so yeah you really let your hair down and just um i wouldn't even i wouldn't even think about a joke when i'm having a personal holiday or think about holding a microphone or yeah a gig at all but yeah when you when you're on tour there's you're always thinking about oh what set will i do tonight and yeah india for example like we had the first week we were there for about four and a half weeks and the first week we just kind of did a few gigs just to get a feel and they sent you to some local clubs and because English, you know, is not their first language. So they want to see what works and, you know, there's the restrictions on what you can talk about. And so there's just a lot of trying to figure out what am I doing here? So it took a good week or two to work out what set was working. Um, so every day you were like really thinking about your set and recording your set the, the previous night. Obviously, try not to get crook in the guts. Um, India belly, you mean? We ate the most fantastic food, but yeah, a couple of the guys on tour just went way too hard with the street food in the first few days. And we were told, you know, you just eat and just let your stomach get used to it and then go into the street foods. And they went day two and they paid for it for the following fortnight, the poor guys. (laughs) (laughs) You learn your lessons. Absolutely crook as a dog. To, to, to perform to the Indian people, yeah. Would you say that's been your most uh, adventurous professional journey, India? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was just, it's such an amazing country and we did like 17-hour train trips from Calcutta to Delhi. Just the sheer amount of people and the, yeah, it's just a, it's such an amazing place. It was, it was definitely, because I was never really a traveler, that idea of, like we got on a train one day and just went to look at these this shanty town that was world famous. You really got to just relax and just trust that the trains are safe and because there's no doors on the trains and you know people hanging out of them as you see on TV. It's all very much like that. So there's cows in the street. You walk into the train and he's walking with cows to the train station. It's just a different world. And yeah, I, I reckon if I went when I was young, I would have panicked a little bit. I would have freaked out a bit, but. 
you you know you lose your inhibitions a bit more when you're older and just relax and yeah I just did things I never thought I would do over there yeah I understand what you mean exactly Daniel because when you're coming from Australia and especially you know a smaller town in Australia your world experience and life experience is quite limited mm. but when you throw yourself into a different extreme for you i guess this was india and for me this was when i went to pakistan in 2007 mm-hmm. and that was the most different cultural and foreign experience i had at that time in my life and it is pretty overwhelming yeah. but i think as you like you said you get older and you've seen more then you just can adjust and cope better to places and experience that are a lot different from what's natural and native to your yeah. to your experience yeah and then for the next time it's not so much of a, a scary proposition because oh mm. you know i've been in a foreign place before that was quite different and i got through it and i'll get through this time as well yeah and the more i've traveled i've realized even though we're all from very like bateman's bay compared to mumbai for example is, is very different places uh, i agree everybody's human like everybody's the same i just felt like anybody you'd speak to is just like having a chat to a mate like it, the comedians we met there were so similar to every comedian i've met you know all the conversations are the same even though english was their second language like coming from bateman's bay i remember moving to canberra was a big deal from bateman's bay which is like the capital and then moving to melbourne was a big deal so yeah i i have mates still living in bateman's bay i, I imagine taking them to india just for a laugh just to watch their face when they you know it would just be they kind of set in their ways and love their steak and chips and, you know, not that keen on exploring that sort of stuff. But it'd just be great just to take them and say, look at this. This is just an amazing place. But yeah, I, I, the more I, as a, back to my first thing, I, the more I travel, the more I realize everybody's pretty similar. <laughs> we just live just the surroundings we have are, are a little bit different. There's a, a lot of people I've met, especially in Europe, uh, on my traveling experiences, who have said that when you've got different cultures and different languages and different experiences, a uniting idea of unity is football. So soccer for non-Europeans. I was curious with you in your comedy circles, would you say that laughter is a uniting factor across cultures as well yeah providing obviously there's uh the language barrier or the cultural language is understood that comedy can be a uniting factor yeah yeah i I would i would agree with that it's not so much within the comedians themselves though i think i think it's more the crowds that are coming to watch the different acts can like for example when you meet people in india that you chatting, you say you're a comedian they rattle off their favorite comedians and and a lot of them are, are the american comedians that are huge world names and they all they all know who everyone is so um and you you can definitely have a chat about that and there's your connection of what you can talk about with yeah within comedians themselves i definitely there's a camaraderie when you meet comedians from all around the world but i must admit the last thing i talk about with them is comedy <laughs> like you don't you don't really like when i was in india i talked about cricket nonstop Cricket brought me closer to the Indian people because we just talk about the old test match. Like for days I could talk with them about cricket. Your comedians, I think, because you're doing it and you're around it all the time, when you have a chat with another comedian, maybe if you catch up with a coffee or something, comedy isn't really generally in the conversation. But yeah, I think for the crowds, it's definitely something that brings people together. And like places like Edinburgh and Melbourne are great for that. Daniel, would you say that there's a specific place where you'd want to travel to do a gig and also where you might want to travel with your wife and have a personal trip? Good question. To do a gig, where would I like to go? A few places. 
I would like to do a gig in Iceland. Yeah. Apparently, like the scene there is very small in Reykjavik, the capital, but I just I just love the look of Iceland and I've always wanted to go there. So I think it'd be pretty cool to go there full midwinter when it's just all snowed in and go into a little underground bar and do a couple of sets of comedy and have a whiskey. And I think that would be very cool. So that's definitely one on my Right. I'd love to, not that exciting as, it's great, I'm not saying it's not an exciting place, but New Zealand for an Australian, you know, isn't as adventurous, but I would like to do some gigs in New Zealand as well. Uh, it's somewhere I'd, I'd always wanted to tick off. Um, Travel-wise, um, with my wife and not comedy related, an interesting one, I'd like to go to Hawaii. We are supposed to go for a wedding there this year, but that got canned. And we looked up a lot of stuff about Hawaii in excitement and then... Now it's stopped. Now I kind of want to go more than I did now that I can't go. Was the wedding postponed as well? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And, and just I'd like to do more of Europe. Uh, I'd like to go up to like the Netherlands and like Germany and probably like Scandinavia. I'd like to see Sweden and Norway, a couple of those countries up there. They're, they're kind of where we're thinking next time if, if we do Edinburgh, if we tack on. Although now we've got a child, uh, it might be a little bit harder than last time we went. A few more things to think about while you're <laughs> traveling around. Yeah. Yes. Another cost. <laughs> <laughs> when you're traveling, uh, do you like to take any particular pieces of kit or gear or uh, do you have a favorite piece of technology that you oh. always take with you? Yeah, I always take my podcast gear. I always take a Zoom recorder and a couple of microphones always everywhere i travel even if it's just out of melbourne for a night or two i just take it with me because i just might run into someone interesting or want to record something i've just all yeah it's something i always like to travel with those things and obviously laptops so you can you know watch your shows and a lot of downtime in motel rooms and a lot of the time they don't have netflix so it's not bad to have your own <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's a yeah daniel give us a, a little bit of a lowdown on your podcast well, I uh, started a couple of years ago, and it's just called Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. And I was, I was actually on a tour. I was just chatting to a comedian friend, and I was just saying, oh, I think I'd like to start a podcast where I just chat one-on-one -on -one with people from all different walks of life, different professions was the idea. I've recorded 50. They're in, on iTunes called Taking It Easy, and talk to all different people. There's a lot of comedian ones on there, obviously, because sometimes when you're flat out and you can't line someone up, you just ask a mate. <laughs> In, who lives down the road or something to be the guest yeah i've spoken to firefighters and dentists and plastic surgeons and just wanted to find out more about people and, and their professions and and how they got to that position and just yeah try and find some comedy in there as well there's professional rugby league player and actors and tv stars from australia on there so yeah it, it's really good fun and you enjoy doing it yeah i, I do and I normally just record from August to December and just try and get as many done as I can in that time and then release them. Yeah, it's nice that people get a kick out of them and like to listen to them, which is really nice. And that sort of gives you the, the spur on to want to make some more. Just 50 minutes to an hour chat. I, I know a lot of people that listen to them on public transport and while they're traveling in the car. Yeah. Yeah, just sort of easy listening. Not any groundbreaking stuff with podcasts. No um, <laughs> murder mysteries or or nostalgic vagabond esque the podcast, but just, yeah, just yeah, pretty low key yeah. chats. Taking it easy. That's the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's imagine you're in a foreign place. Could be anywhere. You've chosen to go there, let's say, for uh, a trip with your wife. Yep. In order to choose that place, obviously, you have to think about things that are of interest to you. 
when it comes to traveling and the people I've spoken to on my journeys, some people have particular things that they are focused on when they're going to a new place, Mm -hmm. whether that be culture or different languages or different food, architecture, landscapes, the weather. Mm. What are some of the things you consider when you're choosing a place to visit, let's say, with your wife? for? Yeah, well, this is an easy one for me because I have become so interested in history in the last six or seven years since I've been traveling for stand-up. I didn't do history at school or have much of an interest in it. I I don't know why, but Laura, my wife, studied history and she's filled me in on a lot of stuff since we've been together. We pick somewhere. I always have to look at the Wikipedia page and make sure there's something that's happened and go and look at a monument or, yeah, architecture or a gallery. Uh, We went to Paris, the bakeries and the... And the, yeah, I didn't know what the city of love or whatever, it didn't really interest me. And then when we got there, I just, it's one of my f- most favorite places I've ever been to, just the history there. And you're walking around and like looking at a landmark and going, oh, who's she? And then reading about a lady and going, like, and it was just, yeah, unbelievable. So I, I, I think history is a big part of it. Like we did Scotland last year. So I was looking up uh, <laughs> all the Braveheart battles and where they took place. And nice. Yeah, yeah, we went to Falkirk and went through there and had a look and yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff like that. So yeah, de- history is is something I look for first and like lo- even just London like going through to um Churchill's bunker there down near Westminster and it was yeah, mm-hmm. just all that sort of stuff is what interests me. I'm just fascinated by that and even to the point where I'm buying books now on history and getting into it. Yeah. So that 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 would be my number one thing is what's happened there and 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 is there something cool we can check out while we're there? Have you utilized any of those free city walking tours that you can find in lots of European cities and actually further afield now too? We've only done one in Edinburgh. That's a good one. The Edinburgh one was fantastic. We did a one of those. We also did a <laughs> like a, a ghost tour as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, late at night in the city, and that was pretty informative about the ghosts uh, that have been through there. So the t- tours are, are really cool. You, you you think they're a bit daggy. Uh, I don't know what your opinion of them was before you did them, but once I did it, I was like, oh, I should have, I should have been doing these the whole time. These are fantastic. These people know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I remember first hearing about these city walking tours when I was living in Canberra, actually, in 2009. So sort of well before I went to Europe and, and started living here now like I do. For me, it's been mostly good and often excellent. And there's been a couple of tours where um, they've been shit, but it's very rare that that's happened. Usually they're really, really good. I've done a bunch and my strategy has evolved to be that if I'm in a city, let's say for a weekend or a week, I try to bash out the free walking tour as soon as possible because what it does is it gives you perhaps some ideas that you hadn't already had thought of, Mm. of places to go, things to check out. And often, like you say, Daniel, historical things that you can then go check out the next day or the day after that. Mm. And it sort of sets up your keenness and your motivation for exploring the city in a, in more depth than you had anticipated. That is a really good idea. I'm going to do that next time because then you don't have to grab all the brochures. You can d- go and do your walking tour and then just pick the brochures that you want. One uh, interesting time for me was in uh, Ljubljana in, in Slovenia. And I went on a, a walking tour the first day. I was only there for two and a half days. So it was the first morning of the first full day that I was there. This guy took us around. And if you're ever in Ljubljana, Daniel, I recommend them because there's lots of interesting history that you get mm. in the old Yugoslav area 
usually those tour guides are really knowledgeable on their stuff so you can get lots of interesting historical facts but another thing i like about going on these walking tours especially for someone who is like me is often traveling solo yeah it's a good chance yeah. to meet other solo travelers or other groups or couples yeah and then you can go explore the city with them if they're you know up for it and usually they're pretty up for it you go have lunch together or you go to a museum together the next day or whatever we found out about this art gallery opening we just walked by a building and asked this lady what she was doing and she said oh we're having an art gallery opening tonight so you can come it's free and i said to my friends who i'd met just then there are two spanish guys and a girl from romania we should go check out this art gallery tonight yeah and they were thinking oh meh maybe not maybe it's boring and i said look <laughs> i've been to these things before in manchester and often it's there's free booze man yeah so they were thinking oh okay this guy maybe he knows what he's talking about let's trust him anyway so we ended up going and it was about you know 6 or 7 p.m at night and we went in there and there was three floors yeah. in this old terrace building of of kind of weird art it was very <laughs> new age i could see i was losing these guys because the two spanish guys were already bored on the first floor and i went up to the third floor and the romanian girl she was you know fairly interested in in everything anyway we were about to leave because i basically lost them and they weren't interested anymore <laughs> and we went back down to the bottom floor and by that time they'd set up like a hundred glasses <laughs> and then a billion bottles of white wine and red wine, all local <laughs> stuff, all brilliant Slovenian wine. And we got down there and I said, look, guys, yeah. I told you there was free booze here. <laughs> Great. And then the Spanish guys were well into it and they absolutely <laughs> plastered themselves on free booze that night. Yeah, it almost sounds like a wedding crashes type situation. Every city you go to, go and crash the local gallery and just get smashed on their free, free booze. <laughs> The first time I actually heard that was from a, a person in downtown Toronto and they have a, an art area. The street's called uh, Queen West. And yeah, <laughs> often you can just roll in. So if anybody who's listening who perhaps wants to have a few cheeky free Great. wines or beers, yes, if you're in a new city, see if you can find a free art gallery opening or exhibition. And Yeah, absolutely. Good times. Fast five. Five quick fire questions require five quick fire answers. My guests must answer five random questions about travelling without thinking too much. Daniel, are you ready for the Fast Five? This is exciting. Question number one, shower shoes or no shoes? <laughs> shower shoes. Question number two, public or private? Public. Question number three, heterogeneous or homogenous? Um, quickly, uh, you have to cut out the pause. Um, <laughs> homogenous, I reckon. Question four, Venus or Mars? Mars. Question five. Mountains or beaches? Beaches, mate. Yeah. Typical Bateman's Bay boy. <laughs> yes. Never changes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I had no idea what you were going to ask me. Fast five. 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 What I always want to ask the guests who come on the episode is from all the traveling experiences that they've had, whether it be professional or traveling for pleasure, is there a piece of advice that someone has given you in respect to traveling or have you learned something yourself, whether it was through a mistake or an experience you had uh, and some advice that you'd want to share with the listeners? Well, probably the best, definitely for the long haul flights, I got told to buy a new tracksuit buy new tracksuit pants, new socks, and a new jumper, like just a an Adidas tracksuit or something, and have that for your flight. And that was – because I did fly in – I have flown in jeans and a T-shirt long haul. And, oh, mate, go, once you get once you go tracksuit, you'll never go back on long haul flights. That was a good 
a bit of information. And travel lighter than you think as well. Take a couple of things less than you think you'll need because you'll buy stuff there. Um, That was another good one. We did one trip with this huge bag. It was like as big as a car. And then the next time, one like just two smaller ones, and it was so much better. just makes your whole experience getting onto trains and getting off and all those mad dashes you have to do mm. especially in a, if you're in a couple yeah if you can get into two smaller bags rather than a monster big chest thing <laughs> try and avoid it at all costs because trying to get those things up onto baggage spots like on trains and pack trains and yeah a nightmare have you ever had the experience where you've taken a big piece of luggage on a holiday and you come back and you realize you took something you didn't even use it yeah absolutely well not more my wife than me, but I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's our bag. So, um, yeah, just like things like hair straighteners and stuff like that. You can really have it, lay it all out on the bed and have a real good think about it before you go. Look where you're going, you know, and you, you're quite laid back when you're on holiday. You don't, you know, you might wear the same clothes a few days in a row if you're traveling around. So, yeah, yeah take less. I actually have never worn a tracksuit on a, a long-haul flight, but I know exactly what you mean because mm. it's quite tough to sleep in fairly firm-fitting jeans, isn't it? Yeah, and the more you travel, you'll notice more and more people in tracksuits and you'll be like, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. There's A little, a, a lot of women will prefer just like a legging and a, and a jumper. Fellas, you can wear leggings if you want, but try <laughs> tracksuit pants. <laughs> try tracksuit pants it is the best yeah you're so just get go on a long haul like you're getting ready for bed and don't care what people think about you and you'll yeah it's the best Ooh. much more comfortable yeah that's good advice man <laughs> yeah daniel but what's it really like traveling with a partner did you ever watch that show the amazing race i didn't i know what you mean i know what it is though but I never watched it. I actually asked Laura what she watched it back in the day. She filled me in on what it is. And I do remember the color, the teams and the couples and yeah. rushing around all different parts of the world. Right. Um, so Laura is familiar with the, the, the show. Yeah, she loves all that reality stuff. Yeah. Because you travel with your wife and that's uh, a thing you like to do together. <laughs> I was wondering, in terms of a premarital exam or test, would you think going traveling with a fiancé or long-term girlfriend could be a good test to see whether you should get married and to see if you can get on and get through adventures together without falling out yeah, like they did in The Amazing Race. What would you say to that? It depends how long. It is definitely a good way to test how you're going to go, being in each other's pockets nonstop for days on end. Um, Like, for example, Laura and I, we've been together for eight years and because I travel a bit for stand-up and, you know, we're both working I might be away for a week at a time. If I normally if I go for longer than a week, she'll come with me. But that absence, that whole absence, makes the heart grow fonder thing. But now during lockdown, for these lockdowns, we've been in each other's pockets for what since March sixteenth or something. And we were talking about it yesterday. We're like, we have never spent this much time with each other. We are kind of going crazy. Let's make a thing where we one of us goes out for a walk or something just to give the other one some free time. Yeah. Yeah. So you you, you will definitely have um, a few little headbutts at points <laughs> if you were trying. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. I, I'd like to think Laura and I would be fine, but I reckon couples. It is if you went for a year around. Say you went on a year's trip, backpacking or something with your girlfriend. If you if you're together at the end of it, you're staying together forever. Put it that way.
Well, Daniel, this has been really good. Thanks, mate. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Mate, thanks for having me on. It's really fun. Next time, we'll definitely have to catch up in Edinburgh, I guess, when that is open for business again, because it's not too difficult for me to get up to Scotland from Liverpool. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. My guest has been stand-up comedian Daniel Connell. There are more episodes in this podcast series where you can hear different tales from other fellow travellers. Check them out anywhere you can grab good podcasts. And big ups to Tom Forfar for creating the soundtrack to the series. Don't forget, your journey is special. Oh, I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. I've been noticing in Britain, especially with the lockdown, during the, yeah. the bad days around Easter, uh, I was talking to a friend on Zoom and he was saying that, yeah, basically, if people are living together, they're doing one of two things. They're either fighting or fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, guys, g'day. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can get around my Instagram. It's Daniel Connell Comedy. Uh, so if you just put Daniel Connell Comedy into Instagram, I'll pop up there. Give us a follow. See what I'm up to. Good on you. When we, when we retire, we should start a walking tour of Bateman's Bay. It won't take long. <laughs> There's only about five streets. <laughs> yeah. It'd be very popular, all the old history of Bateman's Bay. <laughs>